Welcome to The Meeting Room, a place to gather and discuss all things relating to meat safety, quality, and production. In the last week in the United States, 663,000 cattle and over 2.5 million hogs were harvested, resulting in over 1.1 billion pounds of red meat being produced. In the news this week, the road for Holstone Farms to build a pork processing plant near Sioux Falls, South Dakota is getting clearer. The plant is a $500 million facility, and once built, it is expected to employ around 1,100 people and harvest nearly 6 million hogs per year. Uh, Holstone had a vote this past election cycle um, and then had some other court hearings and things that came about afterwards, but so far things are in the clear for that facility to be uh, coming online in the near future. Tyson Foods is planning to spend $18 million to grow a broiler hatchery in Mississippi. The addition is planned to be completed in 2024, and currently Tyson employs over 3,400 people in Mississippi. Uh, There's currently also an economic impact from the company of nearly $340 million in the state. Welcome to the meeting room. My name is Brianna Boosman, and thank you for joining me this week. Uh, It's been a while since we've had a new episode, and I apologize for that, but uh, since taking the new job this summer, the podcast has been on the back burner a bit, uh, but I'm excited to get it back going um, and coming up into the new year. Uh, I have some guests lined up and am excited to uh, share that content with you all. So this week, I'm excited to talk to you about aging beef. Uh, As we go into the Christmas season, you may hear about people getting excited about their prime rib, or maybe you're one of those folks who's uh, preparing a prime rib on Christmas Eve or Christmas. Um, And one of the things that is often talked about uh, with beef in general, but um, Often, I feel like even more so about prime rib is folks talking about the aging time um, of that cut. And um, one of the great things with uh, prime rib is it starts out as a really good product, but aging it can make it even better. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit about what aging means today, the different types of aging, um, and how it can actually be a benefit to the product. So aging beef is a very, very common practice, Um, and in short, aged beef is simply storing meat in a refrigerated environment for a set period of time to improve tenderness and, in some cases, flavor. So that's a pretty broad description, um, storing meat, refrigeration, set period of time, but that doesn't necessarily give you a whole lot. Um, How is it stored? What temperature? How long? How does it improve tenderness? What about flavor? Um, And honestly, all of these things are really quite variable when it comes to aging meat. And um, when I was in grad school, I got to help with a project that did some dry aging, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, But one of the professors I worked with often just talked about aging as an art and a science because Sure, there's some science to it of kind of specific refrigerated temperatures, um, it needs to stay cool, that kind of thing, but the art comes in in that you can be kind of creative in how you do it and the amount of time that you're going to take um, and different things like that. So traditionally, there are two types of aging. 
that are used in beef. And I say beef specifically because beef is the predominant protein where aging um, is used. It's not as common um, in pork or in lamb or poultry. Uh, they may just be stored. Um, so there's going to be some aging that might occur with that. But it is not necessarily with the intention of improving any kind of flavor or tenderness uh, within those products. The big one that is used for is in beef. So two types of aging, dry aging and wet aging. And wet aging is uh, the most predominant form that we see. And it's simply putting me in a vacuum sealed bag and storing that at refrigerated temps. Um, this is something that at a packing plant, when products come down the line after they've been fabricated or cut from the carcass, they then be cut into primals or like the big sections of the carcass um, and then further down into subprimals, which is smaller muscle groups. And those subprimals are put into vacuum sealed bags and then they are shipped out um, in those bags. So vacuum sealed bags into a cardboard box. They then get shipped to either a further processor like a company like a Cisco Foods, for example, that will um, basically be a supplier for different stores or restaurants. Or they can go to um, an actual retailer where those subprimals will then be um, cut further into steaks and roasts and retail cuts. So simply leaving the packing plant or even going into inventory, once these products are in those vacuum sealed bags, that wet aging occurs. And so um, wet aging doesn't really do much for flavor development because it's not exposed to anything in the environment. It's cut off of oxygen. It's cut off from any kind of contaminants that could occur um, or any kinds of molds that you may want to introduce, which we can talk about in dry aging. Um, but it's in just a wet environment of the product within the bag. Um, and over time, those products um, can improve even within that vacuum sealed environment. So simply going into inventory until they're shipped out um, is considered wet aging. Some folks may even purchase products uh, at the store that are in those vacuum sealed bags and then keep them in their refrigerator at home for a period of time to age them as well. Uh, dry aging is the second form, and that happens when meat is not packaged. It's still held in refrigeration, but it is exposed to the air. Um, and typically we see this done in two ways. So um, it can be either the full carcass hanging or subprimals being aged. And um, I've had folks before tell me uh, that they get their meat from the local locker, or maybe they process their own cattle at their lo local locker, and always think it tastes, uh, I'm going to say different, some folks will say better, but tastes different than what it has at the grocery store. And a big part of that, in my opinion, or if I was making a hypothesis, is because of dry aging. So typically at these small lockers, a carcass will hang in the cooler for about 14 days, before it gets cut up into retail cuts. Um, that's partially due to storage, that's partially due to um, kind of timeline and getting product out, and it's partially due to um, being able to improve that product through that aging and hanging time. Uh, once they're cut though, then those products are frozen and sent home. Uh, this varies from a packing plant, where at a packing plant, most of the cuts 
are cut or the carcasses are cut 24 to 36 hours after that animal is harvested. Um, and it could be within the same day of fabrication that those cuts are shipped out to um, the next level of either that retailer um, or that food service company. So a much quicker turnaround um, with little time for that kind of flavor to develop. And with dry aging, uh, flavor can develop both from um, the evaporation that's happening. So when this meat or even that full carcass is exposed to air, um, a lot of the moisture from that product is going to come out and it's going to evaporate and it concentrates those flavors uh, from that fat and from that protein um, into a kind of smaller environment. Um, additionally, with dry aging, since it is exposed again to the environment, there's opportunities there for molds to grow. And these are not typically spoilage organisms. Um, if you're interested in that, go back a ways. There's an episode called, uh, I think it's like Bacteria with Becca, uh, where Becca Furbeck does a whole deep dive into spoilage organisms. That girl loves bacteria. Uh, great listen, I think. Um, but the molds that are growing on the meat are not making it go bad. Um, they are trimmed off when it is cut into steaks and that sort of thing. But they actually can really enhance the flavor and change the flavor um, of dry-aged meats. And we see this more so when it gets into those actual subprimals or primals that are being dry-aged. So maybe they take a full ribeye, for example, um, and dry age that. It develops a crust on the outside where that mold is growing. When it's cut into steaks, that crust is cut off, um, but there's still some flavor within that product from those molds, as well as a more concentrated flavor from the evaporation that occurred. So um, those are kind of the two differences uh, between wet and dry aging, with wet again being the most common. Dry aging is also interesting because some people love the taste, other people's, people hate it. Um, when I helped on the project, I thought it was good, but honestly, it was hard for me to eat a full steak. It was almost too rich or too much um, of that flavor. Uh, I grew up with meat, though, that uh, did come from the locker. It likely hung for 14 days on the carcass, uh, so it may have had a little bit of that flavor, but not quite as concentrated as a as a primal that would have been aged uh, to that extent. The predominant benefit of aging beef is improving tenderness. And uh, this is due to some enzymes that are naturally occurring in the meat. So I'm gonna get a little bit sciencey here. Uh, this was actually my specific area of study in grad school. I'll try not to go into too deep of a dive, um, but I might use some words that seem kind of screwy. But anyway, uh, beef has these naturally occurring enzymes that are called calpanes. So during life, calpanes break down weak or injured protein uh, to let new and healthy protein to accrue. So basically it helps build that muscle mass by taking away any weak proteins and making way for healthy protein to uh, add on and makes the animal stronger. Post-mortem, or after the animal has been harvested, and that muscle has turned into meat, those calpanes are still active. 
Uh, they need calcium to be activated. Um, and so they're not using the entire rest of the, the animal system basically to break down that protein. They can still be active uh, even after that animal has been harvested. So they're breaking down that protein, but now there's no way for more muscle or more protein to build up and to accrue. That energy has been depleted, and so it's just the protein that's being broken down. And when that happens, it's making it become a more tender product. It's breaking down the protein, it's breaking muscle fibers, um, and it's making it a more tender product that can lead to a better eating experience. And typically, those calpanes are active for, um, are quite active for 14 days. There's some that can be active further than that, some at a shorter period of time. But 14 days is traditionally kind of the target that's seen in aging, um, or is often talked about as kind of a, a point to look at. And a really good example of something similar um, that maybe is a little bit more tangible to think about is something um, or an enzyme that's found in pineapple. So if you've ever eaten fresh pineapple, eaten a lot of fresh pineapple, you may notice that the inside of your mouth starts to feel a little bit sore. And that's due to an enzyme called bromelain, uh, which is very, very similar to that of calpane. Uh, but in fresh pineapple, um, if you're eating a lot of that, that bromelain will actually start to break down the protein that's within your mouth which is what makes it start to feel sore. This is the same reason why um, if you ever make jello and put fresh pineapple in it, the jello won't set up because it will break down the protein. Um, and it also is a really good meat tenderizer. You actually don't really want to use fresh pineapple as a tenderizer because it can almost get to be too, uh, too much on uh, that protein breakdown and sometimes can almost make it more of a mushy product. Uh, not always, depending how long you use it and that sort of thing. Um, but if you ever look at store-bought tenderizers, they typically contain uh, bromelain um, or palpane, papain, papain or palpane, I don't remember, one of the two, uh, that comes from papayas. And so key ingredients in those store-bought tenderizers as well. So um, wrapping that up, Wet aging and dry aging are the two forms that we see. It is done to improve tenderness. Uh, wet aging is the most predominant form, um, just because that's really how product is stored, is in those vacuum sealed bags. Um, and it's something that if you're at the store, you can pick up a, a vacuum sealed product. This at Costco, a lot of times they are selling those products as wholesale. Um, your prime rib, you may get it vacuum sealed, and you can put it into your fridge as soon as you get home um, and let it age in that refrigerated environment um, until you cook that product and can improve the tenderness. Dry aging, on the other hand, also improves tenderness, but it can also improve or change depending on your perspective. Uh, can change flavor, uh, can make flavors more concentrated, uh, but there will also be some of that uh, mold growth and that sort of thing that occurs as well. Uh, so both of them are done at refrigerated temps, um, but really the amount of time and the impact that those things or that the methods have on the final taste can really vary. Um, there's flexibility and creativity with it. 
especially in those dry age projects or products. Um, and it just different uh, methods and and practices can go into it, and it makes it very very much an art and a science. So my last comment on aging: if you do choose to purchase a prime rib this Christmas, um, like I said before, you can age it further in your own fridge. Um, either get one vacuum sealed at the store, um, or if you have that opportunity to va vacuum seal at home, some meat counters, I mean, you can get things cut for you. Like if you buy, say you buy a pork loin at the store, you can have them cut it into chops for you there uh, most of the time. If they have a vacuum sealer there, they may actually be able to do different kind of packaging stuff for you as well. Don't quote me on that, but I, I would not be surprised if that would be an option um, at some places. But I recommend purchasing it a week or two in advance uh, from when you're going to actually cook it and store it in your fridge in that sealed bag. Let it age um, and hopefully uh, you see an improvement to tenderness um, and you have a, a product that your whole family will be raving about. Uh, so as you go into the holiday season, I hope that you enjoy that prime rib or the ham or maybe even you're going to make another turkey, even though Thanksgiving's passed. That's great, too. Uh, but more than that, I hope that you enjoy the time spent with your loved ones um, and that you can have a uh, great holiday season um, and be able to enjoy that time with the people closest to you. So thank you for joining me this week in the meeting room. I look forward to visiting with you again soon, and I hope that you have a very Merry Christmas if I don't talk to you. Before.